0: Our readings this morning, our Old Testament reading is going to be Isaiah 43. I'll ask you to please turn there. And then we're going to ta- turn to John chapter 3. We're not going to preach on that, but I just want that in the backdrop of what we'll be speaking to this morning. And then Romans 6:23, which is our actual text for this morning. So Isaiah chapter 43, 1 through 5, and then 10 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt As your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? then to John chapter 3, third chapter of John, familiar verses. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Amen. And now over to Romans uh, chapter 6. As we're coming to the end of this chapter, Paul's answering the question. Really, one of the um, objections that would come is, Okay, since this grace is so wonderful, since we're under this grace that we have from God, why can't we just go on sinning so that grace may abound? We'll get more grace if we keep on sinning. And Paul, in this whole chapter, has set out to just dispel that. And if you've been listening to these sermons as we've gone through chapter 6, you know what a silly idea that actually is to think we could do that or would even want to do that as Christians. And so we close it up here with 6.23. As he says this, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen and praise God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you. Thank you for your precious word and we love how comprehensive your word is, Lord, and how connected it is. Uh, that it cannot be separated, that it is your word, Lord God, from beginning to end. And in it, we have the unfolding of redemption. And so we are so thankful for your word. I pray that you would be with all of us this morning to receive your precious word and that your spirit would work in our hearts and our lives to illuminate us, to give us understanding, to open our eyes, to, to help us to know and, and to, to help this to be planted deep into our hearts. And that we may live it out by the power of your spirit. Transform us, Lord. Continue to work in our lives as you are sanctifying us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we talked about uh, the wages of sin. And that was the bad news for good people. And this week it's good news for bad people. Amen. And that's only through Jesus Christ. Because once we know that we're sinful and in need of Christ, we know that he's working in us already at that point. So we talked about how bad sin is last week and uh the what we deserve from the Lord apart from Christ. Then he goes on to say this, the wages of sin is death. And then he says, but. Don't you love that little conjunction? It always makes all the difference that little one, that three-letter word but changes everything. Because you know what it does? It brings light into the dark place. It brings hope in the midst of despair. You're a sinner. There's no hope for you, but, right? You're in darkness and you're headed to darkness and to destruction, but here's the answer, right? There's that, that hope there. It does make all the difference. So I did read from John three, um, because I want you to have that kind of just in the background as, as we're speaking to this. Because what, what this verse does, is really speak to the depth of God's covenantal love for his people. Just the provision that he's made for us, the promise that he's given to us, the pledge that he has made to his people for our lives. Amen? And praise God. That's all it. Scripture is filled with that, but here especially. Remember we talked last week that verse 23, if you have one verse to speak the gospel to somebody, you want 623 because it has it all. It has our problem, our need, and it has a solution, Jesus Christ, to that and all that he's done for us. So what we have earned is what we deserve. We know that. We deserve death because of our sin. We spoke to that last week again. Then he goes on to say, but, but. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is so filled, just massively, it's hard to cover in one message this part of the verse. It's just amazing because, first of all, we have the promise of God's covenant love. The promise is there. He says, wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift. Let's focus in on that for just a minute. It's not just a gift. It is a gift. Salvation is a gift, but it's a free gift from God. It's unearned, it's unmerited, and it's undeserved by us. You know, there's different ways of gifting people, and when we give gifts for different reasons and in different ways, don't we, at times? Somebody did something nice for you, so you want to do something nice in return, so you buy them a nice gift. That's beautiful. That's sweet. Um, We give gifts on different occasions. If it's somebody's birthday or if it's a holiday or a wedding, you know, a special occasion like that, we give gifts to that person, to those people. We give gifts as we recognize and reward somebody for a job well done, you know, for appreciation. We'll buy a gift for, for our people in that way. And sometimes we give gifts with the hope of getting something in return, right? We kind of want to butter somebody up and we'll buy them a gift and hope to get something back from them. Uh, That's not the best way to gift, be gifting uh, in that way. But when you deeply care for somebody, when you really, really love somebody in your life, you just... You just want to give them a gift. You just want to buy. Not to do anything in return for you. Not to give anything back to you. Not a, you don't, it doesn't have to be a special occasion. You're not giving to them because you want them to love you more. You Just give it to them because you love them so much and you just want to show that, that appreciation just out of sheer love. That, that free gift that you get. Nothing back in return. It's just because I love you. And, and that's the force behind this when he talks about the free gift. That's this, that that covenant love for his own people, that free gift that he gives to us. And, And you know what makes it so amazing and what makes it so hard to grasp when we think about the free gift of salvation in Christ, what makes it so difficult to fathom when we sit and think about it is that this free gift is given to us by God who, well, who are actually at enmity with him at that time. But we're at enmity with God. He actually gives us that free gift of love. Do you realize? That's what makes it so amazing, amazing, that when we hated him, he loved us and gave us the gift. Yes. When we were rebelling against him, he didn't wait to stop until we we stopped rebelling and turned to him. No, 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 no. While we were in rebellion to him, he loved us and gave us this gift. When we were living in our folly, in our arrogance, our unbelief, and our rejection, he gave us his free gift of love. So you have to think about that for just, let that sink in when you think about the love of Christ for sinners like us. Amen? Who are we? And it, and it does, it when we were in our rebellion, and it doesn't mean you have to be an all-out rebellion against God like we see so much of today, where people are just shaking their fist at God and denying him and doing what they want. Listen, man, there's all kinds of rejection and rebellion, isn't there? Huh? There's that quiet rejection and rebellion of God where you're going along and there's just no place for God in your life, right? You're okay. You just you're just doing your thing and and God maybe something distant over there, but that's, that's a quiet rejection and rebellion. You're not outright rebelling against him openly in, in that kind of way. You're still rejecting him and you're still rebelling against him. There's the noble rejection of God and rebellion towards God, and that's when you have no need for him. So the first one, the quiet rejection, there's no place for him in your life. The second one, there's really no need for God because you're good enough. You're good. You're, good. you're a person of integrity. You're a person of honesty. You do your best. You play by the rules, and you try to, to go on for this. So there's really no, no need for God in your life. That's, a, that's the noble rejection and rebellion against God. And then, of course, there's the open rejection and rebellion against God, which we see each and every day. I'm trying to say this because sometimes when we think about ourselves, we compare ourselves to others, to those who are outright um, hating God openly and denying God. Our rejection and rebellion comes in all kinds of different flavors and in different ways. Don't think you get away with it because you're a nice person in that way. That's what I want to drive home here. Sometimes it's a religious rejection and rebellion against God. We even have people who go to church, who do their studies, who do this and that. The problem is they're going to churches that don't actually teach the Bible, that don't believe the Bible, that reject everything about Jesus Christ, but at least it's a church that they go to. Go to any progressive church, liberal church, where they go through the the motions, they'll even use some of the language, but they don't have the substance of the word. That's a religious rejection and rebellion against God. They're apostate churches. Now listen. All of this goes back to the garden itself. We talk about the the, the covenant of works or the covenant of life in Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. And I've been putting this up here, if you've noticed, quite often because this is at the heart of our rebellion. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, you, shall surely, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die okay remember that that's something you want that's so key that is that this covenant of life god makes provision he gives the terms there's the inherent promise if they obey they will live the penalty for disobedience if they eat they will die what does satan do he comes along and he offers an alternative Right, He offers an alternative to Adam and Eve, specifically with Eve. Eve from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know the story. We know what happened. They ate from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to this. And I want you to get this down. Because when they took and they ate, and their eyes were open, they fell into sin, separated from God. Yes, true. Under under punishment, under that penalty. Yes, it's all true. But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it wasn't that they knew simply experientially, good and evil. Oh, well, now I see that this is right and this is wrong. Okay, that's not all that's involved there. But but more than that even, and here's the, here's the nub. Here's what you need to understand. More than that, it's not simply experientially, but now they would become the determiners of good and evil, of right and wrong, as opposed to God. You understand? That's it. That's when they then started to usurp God. God, did he truly say this? God doesn't want you to know that. So now the knowledge of good and evil is determined by them. Every sin, everywhere we go, is just a variation of this. There's nothing new under the sun. Same old tricks by Satan, different ways, different variations, but it all comes down to this. It goes from dependence upon God, that I'm depending upon you, Lord, to autonomy. That's it. It goes from obedience to God to self-determination and rebellion against him. That's the bottom line, people. Always remember that and always know that. From that day forward to this day, that's what we do. He's not going to tell me how I'm going to live my life. That's the bottom line when we say, I know it sounds simplistic, but that's it. We don't want God to be Lord over our lives. Satan's promise of freedom is actually rebellion and rejection of God. It takes us all different forms, but we are nothing more than covenant breakers at that point. Do you understand? That's what it is, and you see it all the time. You see this all the time in our entertainment, in the movies, in our world. You have that good person. Usually, it's that good girl. She has her morals, and she has her standards, and she has that righteousness. And you know, she's not going to get caught up with those. People over there that are doing those things that you shouldn't be doing, but she kind of wants to almost in a way, you know, kind of. If you guys remember the movie Grease from way back when, it's almost like that Sandy character, that good girl. She's a good girl and she's not, she's not going to give in to those more. But what happens eventually? What happens eventually is they say no to that goodness, and they say no to that morality, and they say no to God, and they do what they want. They're going to be true to themselves, so they throw everything off to live for themselves. It gets back to this. That's what it is. Those kids that are raised in the church, raised in Christian home, come into ministry, the, the, the so-called deconstructionists, all they are is apostate at this point, There, You hear the story from them. I was raised in the church. I was raised in the home. I did good. I had my morals. But man, I was under that subjection of the church and under those rules and under God. And now I'm free to live the way that I want. I'm making my own decisions. I'm doing what I want to do. It goes right back to the garden. That's the rebellion. That's the sin. You see it all the time in that way. Now, if you're truly converted, if you're in Christ, it's the opposite. We know what our bondage was. We see it now, and we see how our sin kept us in bondage and that we're free in Christ. We go from autonomy to dependence on Christ, from self-determination to obedience in Him. But you see, that's the free gift. That's the free gift given while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 8, we've already talked about that. Not after that we've proved ourselves worthy because we couldn't. We wouldn't do that anyway. But while we were still sinners, he gives us that free gift of salvation. That shows the love of God for his people, right? Amen and praise God. It has to be free because you cannot earn it no matter how hard you try. It had to be a gift because you do not deserve it in any single way. So he on. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The free gift of God, from God, it's of God why? Because there is no other God. That's why we read from Isaiah this morning. There's salvation in nobody else. There's nowhere else you could run to. There's nowhere else you could try to find hope, meaning, purpose, fulfillment, eternal life. People are searching here. People are searching there. People are mixing this. People are mixing that. It is of God exclusively. Why? Because it originates with him. Because it belongs to him. Because it comes from him. Because we've sinned against him. Because we need to be reconciled to him. That's why. Why? It originates with him. It belongs to him, and he gives it to whom he will. Our God is a sovereign God. So sin fully deserves God's justice, doesn't it? His indignation, his wrath, that's consistent with his altogether holy and righteous nature, his just nature. So you know, sin deserves that punishment. We can all go there. That's absolutely, if I sin, I know that I need to pay the price for that. I know I deserve punishment. But in His electing grace, which no one deserves, all of sin to fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. No one deserves that grace. When He gives that, He demonstrates, and it flows from His mercy, from His kindness, from His compassion, and for His from His love for His own people. Do you understand? Do you see that? It is of God. He's the one. It starts with Him and his decree, his purpose, his plan, his grace. Now, which is more unbelievable? The wrath for sin, right? Wrath for sin, that makes sense. Grace for rebels, that doesn't make sense. That's the love of God for his own. That's the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That's what we receive, that which we do not deserve. It's so hard to fathom that. But if you're a this is why I want you to love him so much. And this is why Paul is saying, are you, are you kidding me? Why would you keep on sinning because you're under grace? That doesn't even make sense because of what he does drives us to want to obey him and love him. It's hard to fathom. But when you're a Christian and you look back, you know, you know if you're a Christian this morning, what you were before Christ, before he came in. You know the state of your soul. You understand that very well, don't you? We do. You knew that you were lost as you look back. We know as we look back as Christians, I was lost. I thought I was found. I thought I had it together. I thought I was doing okay. I'm not. I was lost. I was in rebellion against God. But now we know what he has done for us in Christ because salvation is of God. Wages of sin is death. The gift, the free gift of God is eternal life. That's a covenant promise. A covenant promise of eternal life. And in a broad sense, it's um, salvation in all its fullness, from beginning to end, from calling to glorification. But, but what it's really speaking of here especially is that everlasting life, forevermore, uninterrupted, perfectly blessed, in his present, complete, beautiful worship of our God, unending fellowship. The thing that we try to emulate so much here on Sunday mornings is that worship of God. Get that foretaste of heaven and of eternity when we're in his presence forever, worshiping worshiping him um, uninterrupted and perfectly in every single way. You see, that life that was lost in the garden as death entered the world, as ugliness just encroached upon us, has been overcome by life in Christ Jesus. So there's eternal life in him. He says, you have wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life in Christ. Do you know that it belongs to you right now? If you're a Christian, we have a foretaste of it. We preach on it. We sing for it. It's our hope. Even when we sing our songs, it always starts with our sin, our salvation, and then eternal life. Most of the songs that we sing, the hymns that we sing, because that's the way it goes. And that's what we look forward to. His coming, his appearing, and then eternal life in Christ Jesus. That life lost in the garden, where death entered in, ugliness encroached all around us, is overcome by life in Christ. And that's our hope. So John 11 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? We will be raised up with Christ to newness of life, to everlasting life in his presence. First uh, Corinthians 15, I'm going to ask you to please turn with me back to First Corinthians, or forward to Corinthians First Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 50 and this is what we have to look forward to this is some so much of what we endure in this life even as Christians the willingness to go through the pain go through the suffering endure why they say we have joy in us often it it's because of this. It's because of what awaits us. Because it's no fun to go through the things that we go through. It's no fun to go through the difficulties. It's not fun to be rejected for your faith. It's not, you know, we don't take great delight in those kinds of things that we face in this world, especially as Christians, but we do it because we are his and we have eternal life. It's not not just pie in the sky, but we have life in Christ. So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50, Paul says this. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and praise God. Man, that's it. This is our hope. And this is what we endure for the sake of Christ. This is why we don't, we don't shrink in our faith. This is why we don't renounce Christ. This is why we don't say to God, No, God, I'm going to do what I want to do. We're not going to go back to the garden. We're not going to disobey in that way. Right? Even if we do for a season as Christians, we we come back and we repent and we're renewed in the Lord. But that is not our mindset. We do not forsake our God. We're obedient to him. Revelation 21, 4 and 5 tells us this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away and behold, passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, i I am making all things new. That is the blessed hope of the Christian life. And that is why we live faithfully unto him, right? Because he has promised this to us. He has this for his people. And so we live by faith in that way. The free gift of God is eternal life, right? And that eternal life is secured by the covenant keeper, even Jesus Christ. So he says, wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And he doesn't forget to put in, in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what it comes down to. Our covenant keeping Savior, Jesus Christ. This goes all the way back to Genesis again. And not just Genesis 3.15 with the promise. Even before that, it goes back to the covenant of life, right? Because the first Adam failed to keep that covenant. The first Adam sinned. The first Adam did take and was tempted by Satan and made that exchange. And now we're going to determine what's right and wrong. Not you, God, anymore. And every sin has its its foundation in that idea. I'm going to do, I'm going to determine what's right and wrong. I'm going to do what I want, even though I know what your word teaches and says. It goes back there. The first Adam failed. The second Adam succeeded for us. That free gift that we keep talking about, the free gift that we keep mentioning this morning, that free gift is purchased at great cost. And that great cost shows the depth of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. The love of God for you. It just keeps on going. Keeps on going. The depth of that love for us. Free gift purchased at great cost. For unworthy sinners like us, because of his love, and it shows the depth of his love. 1 John 4.10 tells us this. This is love, not that we have loved God, no way, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's not that we're loving him, but in his covenant-keeping, electing grace, his love that he set upon us. He loves us, even when we were rebels against that man. And then he sent his son to die for us. Ephesians one seven, in him, that's in Jesus We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, it shows you, it's encapsulating what we're talking about even this morning, but it shows you that that cost that was paid, the price that was paid for our salvation because of the love of Jesus Christ. So all of this is telling us, I want to live for him more. Forget about me. Forget about wanting my flesh. Forget about sinning. I want to live for Jesus Christ who gave himself for me, who secured my salvation. So, a shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, number twenty-seven. I do want you to leave this up here for a little bit. We're going to walk through this very quickly. wherein did uh, wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? So the humiliation of Christ, Christ's humiliation consisted in being born in that low condition, made under the law undergoing the miseries of this life, the wrath of God, the cursed death on the cross, and being buried and continuing under the power of death for a time. It's one of the best answers to the to the, to the work of, of Jesus Christ, the humiliation of Christ. Look at this. This is the depth of love. Always have John 3 in the back of your mind as we're going through this. And understand this, the depth of his love for us in Christ Jesus. His humiliation consisted in being born. Let's stop there. That he actually came. That's the incarnation. That Christ came to his people to identify with us. To live a life that we can never live because of our sins. That's how much he loved you. Understand? That's the depth of his love. So why do we play around as Christians and you know do this and say, I'm gonna do what I want to do and live for me and put God over here and put him on the shelf? No, he loves us enough to come to us. Luke 2, 7. I'm sorry, you're gonna go to Luke 2.7. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no place in the inn for him. Philippians 2 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He was born. He came. He was made under the law. Can we go back to the uh, catechism? If We could do that. In being born um, in that low condition, made under the law. When he talks about that low condition, he lowered himself. He laid aside his glory to come and identify. He's the king of kings and lord of lords and God. To, to put it, to humiliate himself in that way is so condescending for him to do, but that shows the depth of his love. In that low condition, made under the law, Galatians four, 4 we're told, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who are under the law. In other words, he was subjected to every sin, every temptation, to, to sin and to temptation, and he withstood each and every one of that for his love for you. It says, all the miseries, undergoing all the miseries of this life, let's stop right there. What's that mean? That Christ Jesus was despised and rejected of men. It means that there was no special protection as such for Jesus, right? He wasn't shielded from the hardships, from the miseries of this life it wasn't that jesus lived in some cave you know and up some mountain and just kind of appeared in that way no 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 he was born he was subject to all the miseries of this life all the dejection all the rejection all the temptation all the while keeping the law perfectly at every point not giving into temptation to any sin he is earning our righteousness as he's undergoing this misery. One sin, and he is no savior at all. Undergoing all the miseries of this life. Then the wrath of God, obviously, that's a paying of the penalty for the price of sin. His life for your salvation. Do you see the love, the depth of that? His substitution on the cross, substituting himself for you. His atonement on your behalf, satisfying the wrath of God. What I want to impress this morning powerfully is that love of God. Christ for his own. Listen. Every act of obedience, every act of obedience in the life of Christ is proof of his love for the Father and for you. Do you understand? Every act of obedience, every temptation he faced and said no, was an act of love on your behalf. Every, Every injustice that he was subjected to, every false accusation every lie, every slander that he withstood, every punch, slap, lash of the whip that he endured as a measure of his love for us, his faithfulness to that covenant and to his people. Every step towards Calvary that he took with that cross, every single step, every act of obedience is an act of love, is proof of his love for you, not just in winning our salvation, accomplishing our salvation, but at the heart of that is his love for his people. Every pounding of each nail in his hands and his feet, every moment on the cross while they mocked him, while they jeered him, while they wagged their heads in disdain, while they gambled for his clothes, is act of love for his people. See, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Because then came that sixth hour. Sixth hour is actually noontime, the height of the day. When Jesus was on the cross, the sun failed to shine. And the wrath of the Father was poured out upon him. So Matthew 27, 46 tells us this. We have that. And about the ninth hour, this is after three hours, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama, shabbat That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taking the wrath upon himself. And then in John 19.30, we're told when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. This is what the free gift cost, Christ. This is what the free gift cost so that we who have received it by grace through faith rejoice greatly. Do you rejoice in your salvation? Do you, Or do you simply take it for granted every day? Do you rejoice in your salvation and do you seek to live obediently or do you just simply almost have God as an afterthought in your life? This is why. This is why we treasure our faith. And this is why we seek to live faithfully in Jesus Christ. This is why we say no more to me and to myself and yes to Jesus Christ. This is why we do the difficult things when it comes to living a Christian life. This is, this, obedience is hard, isn't it? It is so difficult to walk in faith in Christ. It is so difficult to stand up for Christ and for righteousness. In the world that we're living in today, it's so easy to capitulate. It's so easy to be swayed. It's so easy to give in. Just a little compromise here and a little compromise there. We cannot do it because of what it cost Jesus Christ and the love that he has for us. It's so easy to want our own way and to win the argument and to hurt that other person instead of turning the other cheek and walking away right instead of praying for our enemies instead of standing up for righteousness because we don't want to lose the things that we have we have to come to that place where we treasure this salvation more than we treasure ourselves we're reminded of his love we don't want to walk in futility don't let pride hold you back from serving christ don't let don't let that arrogance in our own heart hold you back from being humbled before him don't let your intellect to say oh well we know that this can't happen scientifically we know that miracles you're talking about the god of the universe who made the laws of nature apart from god there are no laws of nature he has the right the prerogative and the power to do with them what he will He is our god don't give in to the pressure it says, look, you need to deny Christ or you need to embrace this or you need to affirm that. This is why we treasure our faith. This is why we seek to live faithfully to Jesus Christ. This is why, to any true Christian, the idea, the, the, the idea of presuming on the grace of God so that we can live as we want and keep on sinning is simply unthinkable. Isn't it? How silly is that? Why would I want to sin more to receive grace when that grace that he gave me cleansed me from my sins and saved me from my sins? Now I want to live in obedience to my God because of the great love that he has for me. Are we going to continue to live in sin? Are we going to continue to sin that grace may abound? Paul says, may it never be. And are you going to live in a way that that's contrary to who you are in Jesus Christ. So that's something that's a real challenge in this for us. To stop going back to the garden and putting ourselves and usurping God and saying, okay, we're going to determine what's right and wrong. Not you, God. As Christians, we know that he is the determiner of right and wrong the knowledge of good and evil. And we subject ourselves to that, we submit to that, and we live that because he is our God. Amen.